This is episode 329 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are What Rural Living is Really Like and A Prepper's Guide to Benadryl. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. Hey, I know that last week I said that I was going to increase the prices of the microbiz, the, the basic price. Um, I didn't realize that when I said that that the second part of my interview with Mark Goodwin was coming out. And so on Sunday morning when I, I saw that interview come through, I was like, okay, I, I just don't feel right increasing the prices right after that podcast uh, has come out. And so everyone you know, would, would, would come over to take a look at that ebook, and then it would be a different price than what we talked about and, and what I mentioned. So I'm going to hold tight for a couple of more days. If you're interested in the ebook before it goes up in price, then you might want to come and check it out. You can go to microbiz.biz or just come over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. I have a link in the show notes. But I just wanted to let you know that uh, the, the price increase will happen. Uh, I would just, I'm going to wait a couple more days after the, um, the, the interview with Mark uh, from Prepper Recon you know, gets out there uh, a little bit and people listen to it. So uh, just to kind of make it fair on them, I just, I just didn't feel right. But anyway, I just wanted to give you that heads up if you're still interested in, in getting that ebook. All right, so let's go ahead and jump in. We have uh, this first article. It's a good article. If you have ever thought about going and, you know, wanting a piece of land so that you could start your own homestead, you wanted a little bit more rural living, you know, this is a great article because it's going to give you some pros and cons of both, of living out in the country and living in the city. And so, you know, maybe some things you haven't thought about, maybe some things you have thought about, but there are, you know, uh, sometimes we can get so focused on like, man, I want to go, I want to have a lot of land so that I can have a big garden and I can have chickens and I can have goats and and all those types of things. But there's maybe some other implications that you need to think about. So this is a great article. It comes to us from newlifeonahomestead.com and uh, great information here. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into it. It is a little bit longer than normal or than than most, but a lot of great information. So let's go ahead and dig in. So you're tired of the hustle and bustle and high price of city living and considering a move to the country. Maybe you plan on planting a large garden, buying some livestock and raising your own food. And those Mother Earth news articles about off the grid living have piqued your interest too. Good for you. Moving to the country can be an amazing experience and it will almost certainly be life changing. However, before you take the plunge, there are many things you should consider first. Living in a rural area can provide your family and you some amazing opportunities. However, there are many challenges to living in the country as well. Let's take a close look at what rural living is really like. So more home for your money. Your money in the country can go much further than it does in the city, especially when it comes to a home. Rural real estate and rental properties tend to be much more affordable than in the city. Urban areas are where the preponderance of high-paying businesses are located, along with their more affluent employees. 
As a result, there is a much higher demand for housing in urban areas, which subsequently drives prices up. Since rural counties typically provide less services than the suburban areas and cities, your property taxes should be much lower as well. While your mortgage and taxes may be lower, be prepared for some unexpected expenses when you choose the rural lifestyle. Unlike the city, cash-conscious rural areas often don't have trash collection. You have to pay for a service or cart your own to the local dump. You'll likely have some sort of septic system as well and will have to spend several hundred dollars to keep it serviced each year. Now, I'll say on that one right there, I don't know if I agree with that one. And then someone in the comments said you shouldn't uh, have to spend several hundred dollars each year to get that service. All right, continuing on. Finally, with a larger home comes larger utility bills. That dream farmhouse of yours is likely going to cost you more to keep cool during the hot summer and more to heat each winter, especially if it's old. So less housing choices. While housing is less expensive, you may have considerably less housing options in the country than your urban counterparts do. In the city, you can usually choose to buy a home or a condominium or an apartment of various sizes and shapes. You even can opt to share an apartment with one or more roommates to counter the high cost of urban living. There are normally significant amounts of housing options available at any given time too. In the country, there is considerably less housing diversity. There are fewer apartments and generally less housing inventory open for sale. If you decide to move to a rural area, you may have to take whatever you can get when it comes to housing. Renting a home may be extremely difficult to do in many areas. So if you're not prepared to buy, you may be out of luck. Less convenience. If you live in a major metropolitan area, getting anything anywhere, anytime is easy. There are endless arrays of choices for whatever product or service you are looking for, whether it's shopping, stores, or entertainment. If you have health or other medical issues, there are usually a wide choice of medical facilities where you can be treated close by too. You don't even need to own a car in most cities. Just use public transportation, get a Lyft or Uber driver, or walk wherever you need to go. When you move to a rural area, your trade-off for peace and quiet is a long drive to the hardware store to find a replacement showerhead you need. There are less restaurants, fewer stores, and typically longer commutes required for anything you want or need when you live a rural lifestyle. If you or a family member have enduring medical issues, you may also have to travel long distances to be treated. Your vehicle really is a lifeline you can't live without in the country. There are some exceptions to this, and even some workarounds. Rural homeowners will likely have access to excellent farmer's markets or be able to take advantage of community-supported agricultural or CSA programs that aren't available to people living in the cities. And with online shopping programs like Amazon Prime, you really can get just about anything you need regardless of where you live. However, if you live in the country, be prepared to drive a bit more to get what you want. Quiet and calm. Living on a rural property is almost always going to be more peaceful than a home in the city. It's hard to have any standoff in the city. Wherever you live, you're going to be in close proximity to neighbors, streets, and sirens. Life is almost never quiet in a major metropolitan area. Conversely, if you relocate to, an, to a rural property, you can experience an almost unimaginable level of peace and quiet. Maybe peace and quiet is what you're looking for. If so, country life can be terrific. But peace and quiet can be a bit daunting as well. Are you really ready to live in an isolated area where you can hear yourself think? Will you find it unnerving to hear nothing at all when you go to sleep at night? 
Some people enjoy the noise and activity of a city and miss it when they move to the quiet country. Lower stress. Along with all the peace and quiet comes lower stress. A recent study indicated that people living in the country have less stress-related illnesses than their urban counterparts. The combination of open spaces, fresh air, and lower noise and light pollution does wonders for your peace of mind. If you do suffer from stress-related illness, that relocation to the country may be just what the doctor ordered. While the stress level is lower, that doesn't mean all is great health-wise in rural areas. In fact, people who live in rural areas tend to be less healthy than their peers who live in cities and suburbs. This may be because rural Americans tend to be older and at an age where people exercise less and have more health problems. However, as noted earlier, people in cities tend to have better access to health care services and specialized treatment centers. Those options don't exist at the same level of convenience in rural America. Less job opportunities and unique options. The sheer scale of major metropolitan areas provide opportunities that rural parts of the country simply cannot match. We've already discussed the shopping and entertainment gap between the city and the country. There is also a jobs gap. It is easier to find the type of work you want in a major metropolitan area of a million people or more. However, in the country, you'll either have to take what you can get in terms of a job or be prepared for a long commute. If you decide to start a local business in the country, you will have to take into consideration that your customer base will not be as large or have as much disposable income as people in the cities and suburbs do. However, all is not bleak on the jobs front when it comes to rural living. If you have unique skills that allow you to telework, such as content writing, graphic design, or coding, you can often freelance remotely from a rural location. In fact, the lower cost of living in the country may enable you to work comfortably from home, your dream job, in a way you could never do in a costly city area. Other options such as small-scale farming or the ability to earn income from services such as Airbnb can provide rural denizens income opportunities that simply aren't available in large cities. More work to do. If you buy a big country property, be prepared to do a lot of maintenance. While you're living in a cramped, noisy apartment, you may long for a farmhouse with some acreage, maybe a few outbuildings too, or even a barn, but peace and quiet and space living in the country comes at a price. While all of these rural amenities are great, it takes a ton of work to keep a country property in shape. Something is always going wrong on a rural homestead. Be prepared to identify a problem and make repairs. Maintaining your land is time-consuming too. You'll either need a bunch of expensive lawn equipment, like riding mowers, weeders, and chainsaws, or you'll have to pay out-of-pocket to get someone else to do the work for you. And that long driveway that connects your rural hideaway to the country road, it won't shovel itself after each winter snowstorm. So buy some snow shovels. You'll need to learn new skills for country living to be cost-effective. You'll also have to be willing to commit what used to be leisure time into work to keep your rural property in working condition. So more latitude to do what you want. If you have a rural property, especially one with acreage, you will face considerably less regulatory restraints than your counterparts in the suburbs and cities. If you feel like having some chickens and a goat, you'll probably be able to go out and buy them on the spot. Getting permits to modify your property will likely be easier too. In some cases, you probably won't even need to get permits. It is usually easier to own, possess, and use firearms in the more rural parts of the country. It is almost always more acceptable too. 
Contrast that with city life, where the smallest modification to a home or yard will often require permits, inspections, and the like. The ability to own and raise livestock will probably be out of the question, even if you have the space. Most cities have more restrictive firearm laws as well. In fact, it may be difficult to own or possess a firearm in many urban areas. More security and resilience. If you are concerned about major national security threats, whether they are natural disasters or man-made calamities, there is no substitute for a rural property. If you have a home and land, you can likely raise and store enough food on your property to make it through a short-term disaster without breaking a sweat. If you work at it, you can survive comfortably for some time, even if there were major disruptions to the food supply and power grid as well. Since gun laws tend to be more liberal in rural areas, you can likely secure a rural property much better than you could an apartment or home in an urban area too. However, there are trade-offs to country living. Your infrastructure may not be as good or as well-maintained as the roads and power lines in larger cities. It may take the county longer to plow your roads after a snowstorm or repair them after a major flood or mudslide. The electric company may take longer to restore your power after a major storm. Higher priority may go to the more densely populated areas. So be prepared to be more self-reliant in the country, even during everyday bad weather events. So lower crime. How many times have you heard something like, we never even bothered to lock our doors out here? Well, it is mostly true. Crime rates, especially those for violent crime, are typically lower in rural areas than they are in big cities. There is usually less property theft as well. People in the country typically have to spend less time, effort, and money worrying about security or keeping their families and property safe. Rural areas do tend to have unique law enforcement challenges, however. The opioid epidemic that is currently threatening communities across the country has been particularly devastating in rural America. It has also driven the crime rate up in many areas. Additionally, when crimes do occur in rural areas, like property theft, most small towns lack the law enforcement resources to respond as effectively as police forces in suburbs and cities as well. Difficult to get away. The rural lifestyle requires a personal commitment that your counterparts living in an apartment in the city don't have to deal with. If you embrace the lifestyle, you're likely raising livestock and have a large garden. You may be running a small farm. You cannot just take a weekend off and go on a trip when you are living like that. Someone has to take care of everything. And there are certain times of the year, like when it's time to pick all of those apples or when wheat or other crops are ready to harvest, that you're not going to be able to leave at all. You may be able to find a neighbor or friend who is willing to watch your animals and tend to your crops from time to time, but getting a homestead sitter isn't easy and you may not enjoy leaving and worrying about all your animals even if you do find someone. So if you live in the city now and can leave your apartment any weekend to enjoy an Airbnb somewhere, be prepared for a major life change when you own rural property. Connectivity Challenges Depending on where you live, internet and cell phone connectivity can be pretty spotty in rural areas, especially when compared to the city. While this isn't a challenge in every location, some isolated spots have no connectivity at all. This may make it challenging to stay connected to the outside world, to telework, or to run some sort of online business. If you plan to relocate to a rural area and need connectivity, you should ensure that the areas you're considering have good internet and mobile phone access. 
there are some workarounds to internet connectivity challenges. You may be able to subscribe to some sort of satellite internet service. Most small town libraries will have good internet access as well, so you can make a habit of going to your library to get work or research done. And you can talk to your neighbors to determine the best cell phone service providers in your area too. But while all of these may mitigate connectivity challenges, the fact is that most people living in urban areas have much better internet access. So more community and more voice. Communities in rural areas tend to be more tight-knit. Since there are typically less government services available, neighbors have to rely upon one another more. Additionally, in rural communities, the town or county governments are usually small. Chances are one of your neighbors is an alderman part-time or serves on the school board. You have more opportunities to interact with the people who run your local government, and in a town with only a few thousand people, you have a greater ability to influence it. And if you don't like the way things are being done in your small town, it is easy to run for office and take charge yourself. A city may have more services, but they also have more layers of bureaucracy. It may be more difficult to enact change in your child's school or to discuss community policing issues with law enforcement officials. It will probably take you time to even find out who those officials are. And in a city with hundreds of thousands of people, there is a good chance that your voice on an issue won't make much of a difference anyway. So less diverse and more insular. If you live in a major metropolitan area, your neighbors, co-workers, and classmates are going to be from all over the country, if not from other countries around the globe. Your spouse, children, and you are going to be exposed to exotic cultures and different perspectives on the world and how to do different things. Most rural areas are considerably less diverse and tend to be much more conservative. This is a major trade-off people should consider when making the decision to move from an urban area to a rural one. Some small rural communities can be insular too and not immediately friendly to newcomers. Conservative communities don't always like change and if a new family moves there from a big city, well, that is a change. If you make one mistake in a meeting or conversation, it can take a long time to live it down. You don't have an entirely new group of neighbors to hang out with instead, like in your old apartment complex. It may also take a little bit of legwork to be accepted as part of the community and to make lasting contacts and friends. So wildlife. Living on a rural property means that you are going to come into much more contact with nature, which is a great thing, until it isn't. If you raise animals, especially poultry, you're going to have to contend with all sorts of predators that want to make a meal out of them daily. You'll have to figure out how to outsmart possums, foxes, coyotes, and hawks. You'll also have to deal with different types of bugs than you typically see in the cities as well. Cockroaches may not be an issue, but you'll learn to hate the ticks for certain. Lyme disease and other tick-borne illnesses are serious health threats you'll need to think about every time you walk into your woods. The wildlife is also a resource you can draw on more readily than your counterparts in the big cities. However, it is easier to hunt in the country than it is in the city. Obviously, you may be able to do so right on your own rural property if you're fortunate enough. It is usually easier to access pristine waters to go fishing when you live in a rural area as well, although there is good fishing to be had in many urban areas as well, to be fair. People living in the country have more opportunities to forage for edibles and medicinal plants too. So be prepared to contend and compete with wildlife, but also to take advantage of it as a resource when you live in the country.
Country living can be a terrific experience, but is it right for you? Moving to the country can provide your family and you some once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. However, forsaking the city life for a rural area can mean giving up opportunities and facing some real challenges too. So when pondering a move to the country, don't act rashly. Consider the pros and cons of such a move and make the best decision you can. Alright guys, so there are uh, a couple of comments here um, as if as it goes, um, but good information here. So hopefully some of you who are thinking about making that move can, uh, you know, can think, can think this through maybe a little bit more. And uh, maybe this, this, uh, article gave you some, some other thoughts to think about, maybe some that you haven't, uh, considered. But anyway, this is over at newlifeonahomestead.com. And, uh, again, it's entitled what rural living is really like. And like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. All right, this next article comes to us from survivalblog.com, and it is entitled A Prepper's Guide to Benadryl. And so I think this is a really good one, um, one that you really want to pay attention to because um, even if you are not in a poop-hits-the-fan situation, there's some information here that might might help you. Now, of course, because it's talking about medicine and, and health and all that kind of stuff, there's always that disclaimer. And so we have one right off the bat, and we have to do that nowadays just to kind of protect ourselves. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and read that one as we uh, start reading this article. Again, over at survivalblog.com, a prepper's guide to Benadryl. So the disclaimer reads, this article is written for entertainment purposes only. We are not licensed healthcare professionals and we have no interest, financial or otherwise, in any company that manufactures or sells any pharmaceuticals. Information contained in this article should only be used as a springboard for doing further research on the efficacy of the ideas presented herein. Usage of any drug, even if it is available over the counter without a prescription, should only be done under a physician's care. Information and thoughts presented herein are for when our society has completely collapsed and the medical supplies necessary for sustaining our families and loved ones are difficult or impossible to obtain. All right, so with that, let's go ahead and start uh, reading this one. Readers of this article will say we sound like snake oil salesmen of yesteryear or those guys on infomercials telling you about the dozens of handy uses for their product, which usually has only one or maybe two practical purposes. However, diphenhydramine, commonly known by its Benadryl trade name, is definitely not a one-trick pony. At least one physician prepper feels this little pink pill is the most important drug to carry in an emergency kit. While pain relievers from your first aid kit may be used more frequently, Benadryl is one over-the-counter drug that can actually save a life. Anyone can have an allergic reaction to anything at any time. Tylenol can't help. Benadryl can. So gather around people. Let's first begin with the reason why you want to have a plentiful supply of diphenhydramine or Benadryl, this amazing little wonder drug in your medicine chest. It's been around for over 70 years since it first came into commercial use in 1946. Most of us are quite familiar with the tiny neon pink pill that is mainly used for treating allergies and the common cold. However, Benadryl is also the most commonly used antihistamine for treating acute allergic reactions in emergency rooms around the country. It is used in addition to epinephrine for treating anaphylaxis. And that's not all. Diphenhydramine is also widely sold as a sleep aid, though usually for a bit more money. Vix ZZ Quill is nothing more than 50 milligrams of diphenhydramine. 
Tylenol PM is acetaminophen plus 25 milligrams of diphenhydramine. Advil PM contains ibuprofen plus 25 to 38 milligrams of diphenhydramine. All of these are sold as phenomenal markup. Save yourself a chunk of change and store straight Tylenol and straight Advil. When you're in pain and need a little extra help falling asleep, then combine them with Benadryl. The Little Pink Wonder also has application in the treatment of other ailments such as nausea due to motion sickness, vertigo, and other illnesses. And it can be used in the treatment of mild anxiety and mood swings as well as some symptoms associated with Parkinson's. But wait, there's more. And finally, Benadryl is an anesthetic. We see it sold in sprays and lotions for topical pain relief from rashes, insect bites, and stings, and contact dermatitis due to poison oak, poison ivy, and poison sumac. It's used in treating hives and eczema and other conditions to control itching. In a grid-down scenario, it can become even more critical to stop itching. Why? Because scratching may compromise the integrity of the skin, our most important defense against infection. Scratching that itch may introduce staphylococcus bacteria that are normally present on the skin into the body. That can lead to cellulitis, which can lead to death if untreated. Diphenhydramine is also used as an injectable or topical local anesthetic, particularly for people allergic to lidocaine. So step right up, folks. Benadryl is available in several forms. A tablet, capsule, liquid, rapid melt, chewable, gel, lotion, spray, and injectable. Which do you want? Well, let's go over that. So tablets and capsules are forms of ingestible diphenhydramine that most common and that are most common and most inexpensive. These will be just what is needed about 90% of the time, maybe more. They have the longest shelf life too. Each form has its pros and cons. Tablets have the advantage of being able to be split in half. Capsules are a little faster acting than tablets. They can be opened and sprinkled over children's food or mixed in juice or milk if the kids have difficult swallowing pills. The powder inside capsules can be mixed with saline or dextrose solution to make an injectable anesthetic. The powder can also be mixed with cream for a topical anesthetic or mixed with water to make a topical spray or paste. To be fair, tablets can be also ground into powder, but that's a little bit of a hassle. The downside to capsules is that in humid areas, basically any place other than the desert, unless they are well protected and stored properly, they can begin to melt together and become an unusable mess. Diphenhydramine syrups have a shorter shelf life, but one of their greater advantages is being able to get into the bloodstream faster. The other, of course, is the reason for which they were created in the first place. Liquids are easier for children to swallow. One disadvantage is that if it spills, you've lost it. If you spill a bottle of pills, you can pick them back up pretty easily with little to no loss incurred. Rapid melts and chewables are a compromise between pills and liquids. They get into the bloodstream faster than tablets and capsules, and they store better than liquids. They are a better choice for first aid kits for conditions when getting into the bloodstream quickly is critical. Unfortunately, they are relatively expensive, but keep in mind that you don't really need very many. Lotions, gels, and sprays are forms of diphenhydramine for topical use only. As such, they don't have as much of the drowsiness side effect that oral forms have. 
Like syrups, lotions, and sprays have a shorter shelf life, but these topical forms can be quite the blessing in taming the urge to scratch. Relief is immediate. And not only will these topicals treat insect stings and bites, rashes, and poison oak, poison ivy, and poison sumac, but they also help with the itching that occurs in the course of the healing of minor burns, including sunburns, cuts, and scrapes. Finally, there is injectable diphenhydramine. Naturally, it acts faster than any of the other forms, which is critical when it is used as an adjunct treating anaphylaxis. It is also useful as a local anesthetic, especially in people who are allergic to lidocaine. Unfortunately, it is only available for purchase by licensed health care providers, but you can mix it up yourself. Of course, this is only for a grid-down situation, and you should do this under a physician's guidance. However, having the supplies on hand will be critical. In addition to having diphenhydramine powder from capsules, you will also want to want sterile saline or dextrose solutions and syringes. Diphenhydramine powder from capsules can also be used to make your own lotion or sprays by simply mixing with lotion or water. Combining the powder with a small amount of water makes a paste that can be applied in and around the edges of a wound to anesthetize it prior to cleaning and closure. An adult dosage of Benadryl is one or two pills for a total of 25 to 50 milligrams. Children 6 to 12 years are prescribed one 25 milligram tablet. Prescription strength Benadryl is 75 milligrams. A physician should be consulted before using oral diphenhydramine products in children under the age of 6 years. Topical lotions and sprays may be used in children 2 years and older. Benadryl is also not recommended for use in people over the age of 60 without a physician's care. Because it is excreted in breast milk, it should not be used by nursing mothers, and it can also dry up the milk supply. Drug screens may produce false positive results for methadone use in people who have recently taken diphenhydramine. A typical 50 milligram dose can create impairment equivalent to 0.10 blood alcohol level, which is why each bottle contains a warning about driving and operating heavy machinery. In some children, Benadryl can have a paradoxical effect, where instead of having a sedating side effect, the side effect is stimulating. This is particularly true with children who have ADHD. Also, diphenhydramine can interact with other medications, so a drug reference should be consulted before medication is administered. So don't delay, shop now. So folks, now you're wondering where you can buy this amazing little wonder drug. You can drive on down to your local grocery store and pay snake oil salesman price for a few pills in a small container. You may need lots of small containers to see you through to the other side of the apocalypse. Or you can step right up, people, to Sam's Club. Our Sam's currently has a bottle of 600 pills for $4.48, which is less than a penny per pill. Amazon Pine Pantry sells 400 pills for $6.09, which is about 1.5 cents per pill. Amazon also looks like the least expensive place to get chewables and rapid melts, and it has 1,000 capsules for making your own injectables and topicals for $16.50. Do I think I'll need that many? If things get that bad, even for my large family, I think we'd rather be dead. But I'd have to spend at least $5 for a small bottle that might not be enough pills for us, and it just seems like a good idea to have extra for sharing or bartering. Benadryl. Where else on the planet can you find something that alleviates runny nose and itching, anesthetizes wounds, induces sleep, and treats nausea and anxiety in such a tiny pill that stores very well for less than a penny? What a deal.
All right, guys. So, man, that was a lot of information there about tiny little pink pill that, uh, you know, that we call Benadryl. So uh, I don't know, maybe after this article, you might be thinking, yeah, you know what? It might be a good idea to store some of that. I, I do like the idea of having the tablets because they're going to uh, just last a little bit longer than, uh, well, actually, they're going to last a lot longer than all the other things. And the capsules, um, you know, I've never had capsules melt like uh, this article was talking about. But again, I've never had them like in heat. So, you know, if the poop hit the fan and you had a bunch of capsules and that's all you had, and, uh, you know, your whatever your shelter, wherever you were living, just got so hot um, that, you know, like in, in Houston right now, I mean, we're getting up to uh, feels like 100 degrees weather very easily. Well, then, you know, they would start melting. I don't think you would want that. So I don't know. The tablets might be probably one of the better, better choices. Um, I don't know. But having some of the capsules and some of these other things. Uh, definitely, you know, would be smart. It's it, it's just not very expensive, so it's it's worth it. And again, the the aspect of having it for um, for bartering. I mean, when we talk about bartering, you think about so when we read about Venezuela the other day, where people were you know uh, they were borrowing money and they were you know trying to find raise money to help their kids because their kids were sick and they're trying to get to the doctor and get treatment and all that. I mean, think of it if we were in a real you know, poop hit the fan situation and you had some medicine that you were able to barter with people, you know, that would be so beneficial. You'd be able to help a lot of people. And uh, I would think a lot of people would be grateful if you were able to help uh, their family or their kids or their loved ones out with that. So uh, again, this is uh, this article is entitled A Prepper's Guide to Benadryl. It's over at survivalblog.com. I'm going to link to it just like all the other articles. Well, guys, that is it for episode 329 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, and if you haven't, I would greatly appreciate a uh, review over at iTunes. Um, you know, iTunes helps us to get the, you know, with the algorithms, the more reviews you have, um, the better it shows up in results. And I also want to say this. I would love, I know that there's a lot of you uh, listening on Stitcher, I you know I pulled up some of the analytics and I was kind of looking at those and I was very surprised to find a lot of listeners on Stitcher. And I would great if you are a listener on Stitcher, I would greatly greatly uh, love a review on there. Be I would be very appreciative of that. I don't know if I would see it necessarily from uh, the way that it pops up for me on on my analytics. But uh, definitely, if, if you did that, I would greatly appreciate it because I know that that helps definitely in Google uh, just kind of get the, uh, the algorithms up there as well and get us in front of other people. So if you're listening on Stitcher, I'd really, really love that. And so if you're not subscribed, make sure you do that. That way you'll never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.